CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Coindesk TV. I'm Will Foxley, your host for today. Joined alongside Zach Seward, Danny Nelson, and David Z. Morris. You're watching us or listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Either way, give us a thumbs up or a like or drop a comment. We'd love to hear from you guys. A lot of great stories to start the day. We're going to talk about Coinbase, which is moving forward with BASE. It's layer two proposal built on top of the Optimism OP stack. Base is a new way to build on chain. Coinbase is pushing forward with this idea of on-chain summer, bringing in huge brands like Coca-Cola, Atari, and other groups like OpenSea in order to build more applications on chain. They first launched this in July for developers, are now opening up to the public this month. Already seen a few different things happening with Base, notably the bald token, a meme coin, which took off just last week and developed into a $100 million market cap token in short order and then quickly fell apart. A lot of development for this story. Zach, I'm throw it to you first of all. Talk about bald Base and a lot of different things happening with the Optimism stack. Wow, there's so much to, so much to go on here. First of all, yeah, Optimism looking pretty good in terms of the scaling solutions out there, racking up some key wins of which base is a good one. Bald, we talked about yesterday and the potential Alameda linked shenanigans that some breadcrumbs on chain suggest could be at play. And yeah, on chain summer, man. I mean, that's a bit aspirational for sure. But I think L2s and rollups are very much part of the conversation right now in the broader crypto space, right? How do we make, you know, mainstream throughputs possible? You can't do it on the base layer. You can't do it on Ethereum mainnet. You got to do it on these rollups, right? Whether that's the Optimism stack, whether that's something like ZK Sync, or whether that's something like Arbitrum. We've seen a lot of momentum around these faster, cheaper alternatives to Ethereum mainnet. And I think Coinbase in choosing the Optimism stack sort of put a big stamp of approval that I think others in the space are sort of following. So yeah, OpStack is definitely uh, looking pretty good out there at the moment. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if this will be the thing that ultimately entices more people on chain. I think it's always worth stating that the numbers of crypto users who are interacting with on-chain applications is still pretty ridiculously low. So if this can move the needle through a big brand name, Coinbase, that's fantastic. But still, we're far off from any type of on-chain season, uh, but hopefully this is something that gets us closer to those on-chain ideals rather than interacting with the Coinbases uh, on the centralized exchange side. David, curious for your thoughts on this one. There's a lot to go on. 
Okay, Zach, I'm going to kind of not exactly push back, but I have a different take, which is that I, I want to exactly do all this stuff through my Coinbase account, which I publicly admitted to having for the first time a couple months ago. And what I want to be able to do is take my Ethereum on Coinbase and put it into a liquidity pool on Uniswap through base. And I think that if they can make that happen somehow and like, you know, regulators, who knows? But, you know, that I think is the play here that makes this incredibly insanely powerful for Coinbase is like if they can onboard somebody onto an L2 through a Coinbase account somehow in a way that's reputable and trustworthy, then like this is a this is potentially a huge L2. And and just to clarify for people who might not be familiar with some of this terminology, you know, this is built on top of Ethereum, just like Optimism, just like uh, Arbitrum. And uh, I don't I don't know a lot about the capabilities, but it has that basic security model of sharing Ethereum security. So I think there's a lot of potential here. And, and it is really, you know, it is a bridge of a certain sort, a kind of, uh, I don't know, spiritual bridge where you have Coinbase itself telling people, you know, it's great to go do things on chain on these layer twos. And uh, I, I think it's I think it's a big deal. And I think it has real potential. I mean, regulators are going to do what they're going to do. So we'll see. But um, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on this one. Danny, what do you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. I'm interested to see how Coinbase handles the public announcement of the launch of its Layer 2, because they've already missed the opportunity to seize the narrative from the outset. As you guys talked about on the show yesterday, this uh, meme coin, Bald, took all of the energy out of this announcement, I think, because people are already aware that to a certain extent, you can already use base. You can get tokens in through what's currently a one-way bridge. Uh, on August 9th, I think they're going to open up so that you can take tokens out. But there's always this risk in creating permissionless systems that you don't know what's going to happen on top of them, right? So if I'm Coinbase, I want to be seen as a buttoned up a company that people can take seriously. It's kind of hard to accomplish that when the very first headlines that are coming out of your layer two are this meme coin that gets rug pulled because of uh, just all, all of the liquidity getting withdrawn. So I'm really curious to see how Coinbase handles and tries to retake the narrative here. Zach, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, we've seen this with the Binance Smart Chain, now the BNB chain, right? Sort of like a, uh, at times, cesspool of permissionless crap that got a lot of people into a lot of trouble in terms of uh, getting rugged and getting uh, otherwise exploited by various nefarious actors. So again, I think you're right, Danny, to home in on that point, right? To have the Coinbase brand name so closely associated with a permissionless system could ultimately backfire, right? I think the pro side is, hey, Coinbase has long said we need to push people into more on-chain applications. That is sort of the true power of crypto. You don't need us. You can just interact with the chain, and that's a beautiful thing. But the flip side of that coin is, Anyone can interact with that chain. And that includes disastrous blowups that we've seen on BNB chain and other chains across the world. So I think there is that potential brand risk that Coinbase could face. I want to know what David thinks about that. Right. I mean, I don't know. The super app, I'll leave that to one side. But the idea of the, the brand risk involved in a decentralized platform, I think that what I hope for here is that things will go badly, you know, that like there will be bad stuff to happen because I'm, I don't hope for it. I just think it's inevitable. Classic, classic but, David. He would. Not but bad. the Not point right is that you have to change the way that people perceive this. And Coinbase being involved in this is going to do that, right? Where Coinbase is going to be out there telling the story that like, no, we, we genuinely don't control this. And that's why bad things are, are possible to happen. And there are other ways to treat this than like blaming it on us. We built the platform, but we're not the ones in charge. And that's real. And that's why the bad things are happening. So like it kind of makes a good point in a certain roundabout way. 
I think. Two bits of context for this before we go on to the next story I want to throw in there. One, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, did make an announcement yesterday on Twitter that Coinbase is going to actively integrate the Lightning Network into its stack. For a long time, Bitcoiners have derided Coinbase not only for listing tons of tokens on its exchange, but also for failure to integrate Lightning into the stack. Another story I think is important here is, of course, uh, the ongoing deal with SEC and Coinbase in court. That sparked off earlier in the spring and is ongoing. Coinbase's decision to move forward with the Layer 2 stack and move forward with listing other tokens sort of shows you what they think about the entire case with the SEC. Uh, I'm sure the SEC has its own opinion on something like bald token launching on Coinbase's own product. But give it to you, Zach, for the next story. All right, I'll take the next story. Let's talk about some SAM coins, y'all. Let's talk about SBF, FTX, and Alameda and the interwoven connectedness of those three entities as illustrated here in a nice report from a team that does social media analytics. They found that several Alameda link coins, aka SAM coins, were pumped by Twitter bots immediately after their FTX listing. So and anyway, this sort of shows the, um, the interwoven uh, nature of FTX and Alameda, where some of the incentives weren't really properly aligned for those in the space, but were properly aligned for Alameda, the hedge fund, to make a lot of money on some pretty low float tokens that have historically not performed well at all. So that's the finding as pre- presented here by this research report. I'm going to toss it straight to Danny for his thoughts. Danny, what do you think? Just another detail in an unwinding, uh, unfolding saga or something uh, new and substantive? Oh, I I think this is not substantive at all, right? This is really just uh, traders trying to take any indication of a pump, seize upon it, make some money, right? If you've got anything to do with FTX, anything linked to FTX is going to go up just because it's in the news. And so that's what you see here. Because FTX is back in the news with this listing, any Alameda Link token, maybe that's Serum, maybe that's Saber, a whole bunch of different ones are out there, is going to go up just because there's more eyeballs on it. So I don't really think that this provides any long-term value. It's really just a short-term opportunity to make some money. David, what about you? What do you think on this? Well, my first question is, we're showing a render chart there. Is, is render something that Alameda was big in? Anybody know? It's not anyway. That's a tangential question, but uh, but no, I think that my my initial takeaway here is I think this is a good demonstration of the limits of artificial intelligence. Um, if you've got uh, Twitter bots, or you know, I, I guess they're talking about Twitter bots, but also if you're doing algorithmic trading and people are trading on the Twitter bots that are pumping this stuff, you know, maybe somebody will make some money off the pump, but a lot of people are also going to lose money because you know these bots don't necessarily understand the real world subtleties of everything that's going on. But also, yeah, I mean. I don't know. I don't know what to say about this, except that, yeah, it's the same as it ever was. People are playing stupid games and some people will, will win real prizes. But, uh, I mean, these, the, the Alameda tokens in the sense of like FTT and the internal projects, like, you know, those are, those are dead. I think it's safe to say. So if you're, if you're in those tokens, you're just gambling. I, I can't speak to why we had a render chart there though. I was just going to say, like, some of these allegations are not especially new, right? I think this was sort of uh, an open secret, right? That Alameda was sort of uh, trading its own book relative to FTX listings. And again, that sort of um, incestuous relationship between FTX and Alameda led ultimately to the downfall of both firms, right? And I think this was something that existed uh, for a while now that people have been uh, talking about, at least, and there's some data to support support that. Because, you know, you'd see, you know, Alameda doing major investments in early stage token projects, you know, getting those allocations. Somehow there would be a listing on FTX in short order, boosting those positions again. And uh, now we're seeing that some of that was was aided uh, seemingly uh, by some Twitter bot activity. Will, toss it to you though. 
Yeah, definitely just following up on what you're talking about there. I don't think it's any surprise to people at this point that there was absolutely zero firewall between Alameda Research and FTX. The fact that FTX was listing tokens and then immediately having Alameda uh, already be holding the bags or be pushing them on Twitter isn't surprising to anyone. The Twitter bot campaigns, it's part of crypto, right? If if you're not familiar with that, well, now you are. If there's a token you're seeing on uh, crypto Twitter that's you know, being talked about, there's a lot of hashtags for it. Well, there's definitely a chance that someone has an interest in you purchasing that and then perhaps I'm dumping on you later uh, once they find it a good time. Uh, this is a pretty normal campaign. And for FTX and Alameda to be engaged with this, I think just adds more power to the punch that although these allegations are not done yet, and we still have to go to court, we still have to see how all that works out. There was a lot of slime and a lot of scammy tactics uh, underneath Alameda and FTX in order to get more people in the door for these retail bags. I think it just kind of goes to the heart of the case that the SEC is bringing up right now as well, right? Uh, The SEC is concerned about retail investors who are getting suckered into these games because they don't know what's going on. In the SEC's purview, they're probably unsophisticated. Uh, They see something online, they see it trending, they might purchase a little bit of it. And then a few days later, all the liquidity has been pulled out from it. And I think that's something that going back to ball token, we just saw, right? A lot of people wanted to purchase the ball token because it was trending on Twitter for a little bit. There was a lot of hype around it. But within a few days, all the liquidity was pulled from out uh, from the project itself. And people went from a lot of money to no money very quickly while others profited on top of it. I think this just, again, goes to the problem with crypto and the problem with these off-sea exchanges that the SEC is trying to hammer down on top of. I think we've been fairly critical of the SEC in a lot of the times we've talked about them on Hash. But in other instances, you look at stuff like this and you're thinking, well, I kind of wish that a government regulator would come in here and hammer them a bit more so we wouldn't see more of this activity. It's kind of hard to put these two things together with uh, like the libertarian strains within crypto and then also like the the ways that we see people get harmed on the retail market. David? Uh, Yeah, just to follow up on my my previous comments, uh, I I had somebody clarify for me that... um, yeah, this was uh, listing non-Alameda associated, non-FTX associated tokens like Render. Um, and then, yeah, the Twitter bots were pumping it. So just to kind of repeat my previous point, like Twitter is not a great signal necessarily for long-term investments. I guess let's let's put it that way. If you're willing to uh, speed trade and get in and out and ride pumps and you know how to do that, I guess, play the game. But uh, But if you're looking for investment investments, this is not the way to go because things like this happen all the time. Amen. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Ilya Lichtenstein, uh, famously the husband of Heather Rosalcon Morgan, in entering his plea deal uh, relating to some uh, money laundering charges stemming from the Bitfinex hack a long time ago, is now admitting that he was the hacker himself. Now, the charges were specifically around the laundering of those funds. The identity of the hacker was not known until now. And at this plea deal, we're getting a bit of a bombshell admission that Ilya Lichtenstein claims to have been the Bitfinex hacker, a really foundational hack in Bitcoin's history. Throw this to David. He's been following this case pretty closely over the years. David, what do you make of this? Uh, Yeah, I mean, this is huge. To be clear, it was always fairly obvious that Ilya and, and Razzle Khan had actually conducted the hack. But as you mentioned, in the charges, uh, they were just being targeted for money laundering, that is kind of processing and cleaning up the funds afterwards. But it was always really unclear why they would have been doing the laundering part without having done the hacking part in the first place. You know, people hypothesized that maybe they had bought the keys at a discount 
in order to uh, then process it and, and all this stuff. But th- those were all always kind of long shot theories. And the thing that always made the most sense was that they were the hackers as well as the launderers. So this really resolves a big ambiguity that has been going on for a long time, um, assuming it pans out, assuming that it's true. We haven't seen all the details. I haven't read the story yet. I'm assuming this was an admission that was pursuant to his plea deal, um, which is would be very interesting because presumably the plea deal is going to get him less of a sentence than a guilty verdict on the money laundering charges would have. And yet now he's admitting to a crime that actually would have implied a much longer sentence, probably. Um, and so there, there's a lot of things to, to figure out here in terms of how that information actually came out and what he's getting for it. But the uh, the admission itself is is a big milestone. And for those who might not know, I mean, this hack goes back to, if I remember correctly, 2015 or 2016. So this is, you know, ancient history. And the final thing I'll say that makes this really interesting is that at the time of the hack, the value of what was extracted was on the order of less than $100 million, I believe. And then by the time uh, they were arrested last year, that value had shot up to several billion dollars. Uh, so there's a very interesting case study here, too, about, you know, what are the legal consequences if you steal something that then becomes much more valuable within a few years? Uh, so, Zach, I saw your hand. Go for it. Yeah, you're, you were right. It's 2016. And we're talking about 120,000 bitcoins, right? So that's a staggering yes. amount of money that was pilfered here by these two criminal masterminds who, when the news initially came out and people started uh, searching their social media profiles, specifically Heather Morgan's in this instance, you know, she's this kind of spazzy female rapper who has all these weird sort of, um, I don't know, social engineering tricks that are on the internet over these over these many years. So I think there was just this initial just awestruck moment on crypto Twitter where it's like, wow, these spazzes executed a $5 billion bank heist. And now we're learning this some years later after the 2016 hack itself. So anyway, this is, um, yeah, this is a very interesting development in a case that really captivated people's interest uh, when this news came out uh, initially that they were involved, at least on the laundering side, and now allegedly on the hack side itself. Well, I got to throw it to you uh, for your thoughts on this one. Yeah, David, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think there's some other important things about this whole hack as well. So going back to 2016, when the hack took place, uh, Bitfinex was in a tight spot, obviously losing a lot of money and with no recourse in sight. They decided to launch Leo token, which enabled them to gather some funds to be able to continue moving forward. And that was one of the first instances of an exchange token. I don't necessarily know if it was the first instance of an exchange token, but one of the bigger first instances of an exchange token. And we went on to see a lot of exchange tokens be launched, including FTT, right, Uh, which famously took down FTX and Alameda Research. So there's like some long tail thoughts behind this hack that really just weave their way in and out of crypto history uh, in surprising ways. It's funny how one instance of a hack uh, can lead to so many different stories down the line. The other thing I want to bring up here is just Rosal Khan in general. I mean, Zach, I think you put it mildly, like she's definitely more than a rapper. Uh, She's sort of an icon within (laughs) crypto cringe history, right? With all the different uh, YouTube videos she put out there. She's up there with Mark Zuckerberg's sister as perhaps the first or second best crypto artist. Hey, now, (laughs) that slander will not stand. These I'm are, with you. These I'm, are not I'm, comparable I'm, people I'm, at all. Team Roslicon on this one. Team, get, get Randy Zuckerberg out of the conversation, sir. Or second. Uh, immediately. It's, it's, everyone has their own taste involved with the story. But I think at the very least, Ilya and Roslicon have a little bit of a marketing crisis on their hands because who's going to go down in history as the bigger name? One committed a huge hack, maybe the largest hack in Bitcoin history. The other has some of the best videos on, on YouTube. Danny, I'll throw it to you. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to have to pick uh, Razzle Khan on this one. The hack, the, the identity of the hacker is irrelevant when you have memes of such a high quality. That's what people are going to remember. Of course, they're going to remember in connection to, you know, the multi-billion dollar hack. But the, the person who really brought this to the attention of the wider world at this point in time wasn't Ilya. It was Razzle Khan. I say victory goes to Razzle Khan. That's my, should, that's my thoughts on the matter. Should be noted that Heather Morgan's uh, plea hearing is occurring now, is still ongoing. So there could be some more developments out of this story mm. soon. Something to watch for sure. She could be Biggie. Right. Who knows? There was, some, there was some news in the Tupac case recently. So hmm, we'll have to think on that. Anyway, uh, I'm throwing it straight to Real David. Real never he's, die. He's got our last story of the day. What's going on? All right. So uh, Patreon... Yesterday experienced a an outage. We still don't really have a lot of details, but experienced some significant disruptions to their payments. So, at least according to some users and creators uh, and and uh, backers, they're seeing not just failed payments, um, and they are seeing disconnections where people are getting their support lists wiped. People are getting uh, taken off of the uh the 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 roles to send monthly payments to individual creators because something in Patreon system apparently is uh making it look like credit card charges are fraudulent um and so you're getting just a big unwind in the system there a lot of people are reporting they're not receiving their regular payments and other people are are seeing other sorts of problems um so we uh we decided to highlight this just because at least from my perspective I think this is a really good illustration of the problems with current payment systems in terms of transparency and control at the end user point you you're getting these disruptions because of something mysterious that happened within Patreon and it's really messing with people's livelihoods I'm seeing creators who are saying like I can't make rent this month because this is happening I mean it's it is August 3rd, so we're right at that point. It's happening at a really bad time for some people. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to, I, I'm not going to be the guy who says crypto fixes this, but at the very least, there are alternative ways that this could be made more resilient and transparent. And uh, I think we need to think about those. Uh, Danny, go for it. I will be the guy who says that crypto doesn't fix this, right? First off, we need to know more about the specifics of this instance. Exactly. But I should say, we see Kraken and Binance and Coinbase every now and then. They have little blips in their ability for people to deposit and or withdraw tokens. And those aren't always explained well. Sometimes it, Usually it's fixed quickly, um, but things break and... It's not exactly, at least from my understanding situation at this point, something that crypto can certainly fix when it comes to Patreon. So what I'm, I, well, I will say that I agree with you, David, there is a lot of inherent uh, transparency that comes with crypto payment systems that you can uh, benefit from that, the, let me clarify, that the viewing public can benefit from, not necessarily the people who are sending and receiving the payments when it comes to crypto. Uh, Will, I'll toss it to you now. Yeah, I think you're spot on here. Uh, we don't really know what's going on with Patreon yet, so we'll have to wait and find out more details. Looks like they have two different problems on their hands, and it's an online service. Things don't work sometimes, so we'll just see. Maybe they need to turn it off and on again. I think for crypto here, <laughs> the question is, can micropayments work? You know, payments under $50 streamed online on the internet. There's a lot of different companies working on this, from Lightning Network developers to things like USDC Coin. Haven't panned out super well yet, but perhaps in the future... Not quite right now. Zach? Yeah, there's been a lot of noise, I think, about, you know, how Web3 intersects with the creator economy, right? And I think there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, slices of the creator economy for which Web3 might make a lot of sense, right? 
things that are looked disfavorably upon by various payment providers, whether that's sex work, whether that's um, illicit substances, stuff like that, right? It hasn't really clicked yet because just the mass appeal isn't there in terms of the ability for people to send crypto payments. But it would be interesting to see if several of these instances ultimately move the needle on the Web3 creator economy. That's likely won't be this one, but we'll have to wait and talk about it another day. That's it for the show. We had some breaking news. That was fun. Thanks, guys, for tackling that with us. I'm Zach Seward. We've got David Morris, Danny Nelson, and Will Foxley. We're The Hash. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 